Where Flowers Bloom, Part 5 of the Dangerous Sentiments series, a Stargate Deep Space Nine fan fiction, written by Pyrrhic Victory and read by God of Laundry Baskets. It is rated teen and up with pairing Bashir Garrick. Chapter 1 you're so striking, Julian mumbled upon seeing Garrick sitting at his table. Not his most eloquent, but he had just woken up. On the rare occasions he could convince Garrick to stay in his quarters overnight, Julian was used to falling asleep first and waking up second. As usual, Garrick had already dressed, had replicated breakfast for him, and was working at the table with a coffee for himself. "'What do you want, Julian?' Garrick kept his eyes on his pad. "'To tell you how handsome you are? Isn't that allowed?' It wasn't. Garrick always found flattery incredibly suspicious." One eyeridge raised. I've already made you breakfast. Julian sat down opposite him. You're always flattering me. Last night you called me pretty. Even I have to tell the truth sometimes, my dear. It makes the lies more believable. He sighed very pointedly, lowered the pad with a look like a disapproving schoolteacher. Now... What is it that you want? Julian bit into his toast and pointed at Garrick with the corner. I want to tell my boyfriend he's attractive without being interrogated for an ulterior motive. Garrick rolled his eyes. Oh, must you speak with your mouth full? Yes, I must, because I'll be late for the conference otherwise. Fear not, your transport has been delayed by an hour due to an issue in the impulse engines. Since you'll be late anyway, you can use the time to learn how to chew your food with your mouth closed. Julian frowned. Garrick had a bad habit of keeping things to himself until he thought they were relevant, never mind when Julian would have liked to know. When were you going to tell me that? Eric sipped his coffee and put on an innocent look. Hmm. I imagine it would have become relevant after you inhaled your breakfast. You would, no doubt, have been delighted to find yourself with an entire hour of free time in which to tell your boyfriend just how alluring you find him in a misguided attempt to make him more amenable to whatever foolish endeavor you were planning to suggest. He finished with a stern look, and Julian gave in. All right, so I thought it would be nice if, after I'm back from Calstron 4, Eric breathed in deeply and closed his eyes as one does before a heavy sigh, if we could go to the hollow suites. I found a program of these botanical gardens on Earth. Garrick scoffed. <laughs> a hollow sweet program. In quarks. 
Really, Doctor, we might as well make love on the promenade for all the subtlety that would afford us. Julian sighed. It was always a battle trying to get Garrick to spend time with him anywhere other than their quarters, and even then he was reluctant to be there too often in case someone noticed. His paranoia was always there in the background. Not everyone uses the hollow sweets for sex. That's just something Quark puts about. Friends use them together all the time. I think Dax and Kira went rock climbing last week. Yes, but I doubt you and Chief O'Brien are visiting botanical gardens together. Nobody's going to know what program we're running. Garrick waved a hand dismissively. Anyone with a passing knowledge of isolinear subprocessors could access the information in a matter of moments, not to mention that Quark himself almost certainly monitors the programs, and he is hardly known for his discretion. Okay, so what? You said you were a gardener before, right? Why can't a friend who is knowledgeable about gardening go to some gardens with a friend who is interested in learning about gardening? Garrick tilted his head disbelievingly. You're interested in learning about gardening? Well, I could be. He tried to look as earnest and hopeful as he could. Garrick did not look convinced. Oh, please, at least promise you'll think about it. I have thought about it, and I think it's a bad idea. You are infuriatingly stubborn, do you know that? You wouldn't like me half as much if I wasn't. Julian grinned, and Garrick watched him very dubiously over his tea. He'd been working very hard on ways to convince him to do fun things that weren't strictly discreet. Thus far, the occasional dinner had been deemed acceptable, so long as they missed lunch that week and didn't stay out too late. I will think about it. Julian beamed. Thank you, Garrick. I will think about it. Garrick gestured sternly with his mug, though his eyes had softened a little. They always did when Julian smiled at him like that. That does not guarantee an agreement, now or when you return from the conference. It made agreement much more likely, but Julian wasn't going to point that out. He was considering a number of ways he could convince Garrick that the Hollow Sweep program was a very good idea, most of which involved getting very close to him without many clothes on, when his communicator beeped. Dax to Bashir. He dropped his toast. Bashir here, go ahead. Hi, Julian. Can we have a look at the patterns of that Romulan fungal infection again before you go? It's got some interesting similarities to a computer virus I've been studying. Um, yes, sure. Julian coughed. It was always awkward to calm people while Garrick was there. I've got an hour before my transport leaves. I'll meet you in the infirmary? Acknowledged. Sorry, Garrick. Gotta go. Garrick did one of his exaggerated, wide-eyed expressions. 
But of course, duty calls. I shall see you in a few days, then. Julian got up and kissed him on the cheek. Yep. Bye, Garrick. Love you. Garrick blinked at him, expression softening, always at a loss when he said that. Goodbye, doctor. Do try to be careful. As he'd expected, Odo hadn't noticed him spending the night in Garrick's quarters after the mission in the Gamma Quadrant, and he'd managed to persuade Garrick that it was perfectly reasonable for friends to crash on each other's couches, which is what he'd tell people if they asked what they were doing together. Still, he only got to fall asleep with Garrick once every couple of weeks, if that. The man was more paranoid than anyone should ever be. With good reason, perhaps, but it was starting to rub off on Julian. Sometimes he caught someone glancing at him across the promenade and had to shake off the feeling that they were watching him. Funny thing, Dax began when he arrived in the infirmary. I tried to find you in your quarters earlier, and you weren't there, so I asked the computer, and it said it couldn't find you. What were you up to? Julian swallowed. He was bad at keeping secrets when he was asked directly. Garrick had done something to his comm badge, so the tracking functions sometimes failed when they were together, making anyone accessing the computer files less likely to notice the pattern. Oh, that's odd. I was just, um, giving some medication to a patient. At this hour? Yes. Well... I knew I'd be leaving today, and he's a very difficult patient, so I had to check in on him. Chief O'Brien's shoulder again? Knowing Dax, she would probably ask Miles about it later, who would deny it, which would make her more suspicious. Garrick had told him the best lies were mostly true. Um, no. It's Garrick, actually. It's impossible to get him to come to the infirmary, so if the mountain won't come to Muhammad... I see. Is he all right? Hmm? Dax looked politely interested. Oh! Uh, yes, it's a chronic thing. He gets migraines, that's all. Um, about the Romulan fungus. Oh, right, so the thing is... Garrick wasn't entirely cut off from the politics of Cardassia. As the only one of his people on the station, he'd become the unofficial representative during less serious diplomatic incidents, at least until someone odious like Ducat arrived. Still, he didn't receive many messages from home. Occasionally, an old friend might send him a coded message asking for information. He preferred these, decrypting the messages and sending them off encrypted information in return, accurate or not, as he wished, made him feel like he was still part of the order. And very, very occasionally, he would get an order from Central Command to sort out a mess with the Federation. But when he heard the console beep in his shop the afternoon after Julian returned from his conference and found a message waiting for him, it was not an instruction 
but a very interesting piece of information from an old contact. Major Kira had been abducted by the Order and was being held on Cardassia Prime. Kira? Why? She was highly ranked in the Bajoran militia, but during the occupation she'd been nothing more than a terrorist. What could they want from her? Information on Deep Space Nine? Surely there was a less dramatic way to go about it. And did they really expect Bajor and Kira's dedicated Starfleet friends to simply let this go without a thorough investigation? The safest thing to do was shoot off an inquiry for more information. He was running out of favors to call in, but this one worked out. A few hours later, he had a bit more information. She was being held in the home of Leggett Tikene Gamor. That took a bit of a puzzling together before he worked out the connection between order involvement and a dissident figurehead whose missing daughter bore a remarkable resemblance to Kira. Interesting. More interesting, the operation was being run by Corbin Entek. Entek had once served under him, but then took on quite a strong role in the Order Command some time after Garrick's exile. And being powerful in the Order, Entek had enemies, some of whom were Garrick's friends, and one of whom he'd been lucky enough to contact for this information. From the tone of the message, he got the impression this friend wouldn't particularly mind if something were to go catastrophically awry with Entek's plans. Garrick wouldn't particularly mind either. He didn't mean to get involved after he told Julian what was happening. Really, he didn't. He assumed the matter would be left to the Starfleeters and their misplaced heroism, and they'd retrieve Kira from Gamor's home on their own initiative. But Commander Sisko was, unfortunately, quite Cardassian in his thinking, and never let an opportunity go by when he saw one. Are you packing? Julian frowned at him. He used his medical override to get into Garrick's quarters when he didn't answer the door. How observant of you! Garrick grabbed the disruptor from the desk and the knife from his bedside table, both of which Julian raised his eyebrows at and tossed them into his bag. I thought you couldn't leave the station. That hasn't stopped Commander Sisko from commanding it. I used to think that title was a little obvious. Now I see it is completely appropriate. That's ridiculous. He can't do that. You've as much a right to be here as anyone else. That is to say, no right at all. Garrick snatched a pad from the table and tossed it in. I'll save you the trouble of being sanctimonious. We're taking a little trip to Cardassia to rescue Major Kira. He couldn't quite decide whether he was angry about this development or not. On one hand, being a Federation lackey had no appeal whatsoever, nor did dying on a Federation ship with a crew of Federation officers because they'd failed to be subtle about entering Cardassian space. On the other hand, Cardassian space was exactly where he wanted to be. 
the urge to rile things up in the order again overtook him, no matter how self-destructive the impulse was. He wanted to matter. You're not allowed on Cardassia, Julian said. Really? I had no idea. I choose to live on this freezing station for my own amusement. Julian folded his arms. Garrick sighed very carefully and tried to compose himself a little better. Perhaps he'd get to breathe Cardassian air again. They would almost certainly have to beam down to retrieve Kira. Will they hurt her? Garrick slung his bag over his shoulder, silent. He suspected they wouldn't, until it became clear that she wasn't going to tell them anything about the station or help them expose Gamor. Then they almost certainly would. Entek had never been known for his kindness. None of them had. Garrick, what do you think? But I'm coming with you. Julian! Kira's my friend, and she might be hurt. Unless Sisko orders me off the ship, I'm going. Apparently, Starfleet officers were allowed to invite themselves on missions such as these. To say the Defiant was cramped was a vast understatement. He could barely walk two steps in his cabin without hitting a wall, and the corridors were far too cold and narrow for his liking. He was going home. For a brief visit, or perhaps for a death sentence, it came to the same thing. He was going home. Not just to Cardassia Prime, but to the capital. The walls pressed far too close. He closed his eyes and tried the Romulan meditation technique that used to work for him. Nearly three years on an airless prison in space had apparently reduced its effectiveness, because his heart was still going a little too fast to be comfortable. Breathe. Control yourself. Many who spoke of Tekeni Gamor said he was an honorable man, a paragon of the old Cardassian ways. He was also a dissident. He and his followers said Central Command had too much power. Well, that was certainly true. That's how they ended up with people like Gul Dukat running entire occupied planets without proper supervision. It would do Cardassia good to have people in power who thought about something other than territorial disputes for a change. But the dissidents questioned the Order, too. The Order needed power to protect Cardassia. It was all very well being a wide-eyed idealist when you had no idea of the things that went on behind the scenes, of the knife's edge of diplomacy and lies that their prosperity rested on. The Obsidian Order is Cardassia. The ceiling seemed awfully low for a Federation ship. Had he grown taller? Surely not. He sat onto the bunk and kept his eyes closed. From the Order's perspective, and from Central Command's, it was rare they aligned completely. He was helping weaken Cardassia. His own home, his own people. No matter what he thought of Gamor and Entek, and what he planned to do to Kira, 
It went against everything he'd been taught. Is Tane watching this? Maybe this is a test. If it is, you've failed. It was a constant anxiety that had followed him his entire life. The fear that not only was Tane watching, but had engineered the situation specifically to test his loyalty. What if he knew that he'd let Natima Lang and her student go? Tane might have sent Gul Toran to give the orders personally, a test within a test to see if he'd jump through all the hoops to end his exile, no matter how humiliating. Air was too tight and too cold to breathe. The walls, he could see them crumbling, a faded echo of Tsenketh flashing in his head. He stalked out of the cabin. There had to be some other entertainment available to him besides beating out his brains for a little treason. This is an Alpha Red Priority Mission Clearance Verification 9218 Black. By authority of the Central Command, you are ordered to turn your ships around, erase all records of this encounter from your logs, and talk of it to no one. Is that clear? Julian stared. Everything about Garrick that he recognized as Garrick had disappeared, and in his place was a stranger. There was no polite conversation, no prevocating or clever misdirection. There were no exaggerated gestures or expressions, no placating politeness to avoid undue conflict with a stranger. His whole posture had changed into one of rigid authority. This was the appearance of someone who was used to commanding, so much power that his orders were followed to the letter and without question. Clearance code verified announced a gold Benil's computer. Julian had barely considered the possibility that it wouldn't be. My apologies. I had no idea. Benil, who had just seconds ago been blustering with outrage at his authority being questioned, looked sheepish, afraid. For an insane moment, Julian forgot where he was sitting and was afraid for him. Even the gulls feared us, Garrick had once said. I can see why, Julian thought. You are doing your duty. End transmission. And then, the Garrick he knew came back again. Someone more suited to the garish outfit he was wearing. The one who guarded his emotions so fiercely that he couldn't share them out loud and made Julian breakfast and kissed him as gently as though he was made of glass. He breathed deeply, sighed, and returned to his usual posture and polite, neutral expression. Mr. Garrick, I'm impressed, Sisko said. Garrick looked dismissive. Ah, oh, it was just something I overheard while I was hemming someone's trousers. I suggest that we get away from here as quickly as possible, in case Gulbenil should decide to show some initiative. Julian found himself staring long after it would have been appropriate to return his gaze to the console. It was like looking at two different people. Had Garrick just put on a mask, or had he taken it off? If asked, of course, he'd say both. 
or neither. They're all true. Let's go, Garrick, Odo said, nudging him towards the turbolith. Garrick, naturally, had other ideas. Ah, Commander, I think it might be prudent if I remain on the bridge now that we've entered Cardassian space. I doubt that was the only difficulty we'll have to overcome. Cisco did not seem thrilled with the idea, but Garrick did have a point. All right, but if you so much as think about touching the controls again, you'll be spending the rest of the trip in the brig he said, fixing Garrick with a firm look. I'll keep an eye on him, Commander, Odo said. There was a free chair at the console next to Julian, so, under Odo's watchful gaze, Garrick strolled over to sit beside him. Julian cleared his throat and tried not to look flustered. What were you doing near the phaser banks, Garrick? he asked. Odo had brought him in, saying he'd been lurking in the access corridor. To be honest, doctor, he said, which invariably meant he wasn't going to be honest at all. I was looking for the mess hall. The replicator in my cabin doesn't produce much in the way of proper Cardassian cuisine. I don't think the mess hall has much of that either. Garrick tutted. Of course not. I'm starting to wish I'd let Gulbeneel capture us, at least on a Cardassian warship. There might be passable Yamak sauce. Julian snorted and returned to monitoring his console. The real Garrick was melodramatic and complained about replicated sauce and claimed to learn high-level security codes while hemming trousers. But apparently he was also someone who didn't flinch when he shouted down warships and hacked computers. What is an Alpha Red priority mission? Is it a military thing, or... He leaned closer and whispered, An Obsidian Order thing. He didn't expect Garrick to actually tell him, but it was always entertaining watching him come up with implausible excuses, and he definitely needed to think about something other than Garrick commanding him in that unwavering voice. I have absolutely no idea, but Gulbanil did seem rather alarmed, didn't he? I can only assume it was quite serious. Julian rolled his eyes fondly. We'll be entering orbit of Cardassia Prime in seven minutes, Lieutenant Dax said. Was there, in the distance, spinning on without him. Home. Something touched his arm and he flinched. Julian's hand. You all right? He quietly asked. I know this isn't exactly how you planned on going home. Julian had been avoiding eye contact ever since the incident with Gulbanil. Perhaps he'd finally come to his senses about being in love with him, though he hoped the doctor might have been able to see through that particular mask. There are worse places to be, doctor. I've been meaning to take a holiday. He felt Odo's eyes watching him, 
Garrick often thought those eyes, which were surely no more real than the rest of him, saw far more than he'd like them to. It was a problem with the transporter when they tried to beam down, a dampening field around Gamor's house, an unsurprising tactic from Entech. He must have caught onto Gamor's escape attempt. Fortuitous, really, because they had to beam down in the street and he could breathe proper Cardassian air. The dim afternoon embraced him, hot and heavy. Warmth flooded his body and soothed his frantic heart, and there, oh, there, were pointed arcs on the walls, the stately buildings of the Coranium sector, the beautiful, warm colors of the architecture. Months, years of solid gray misery broke open, and he could feel again. The house he grew up in was here somewhere, in the west, in the Pladar sector. Payne's house, the basement where he and his parents lived, his office, his closet, the sound of his footsteps upstairs, always looming over him. The Obsidian Order's headquarters under the assembly building. The Tarlock grounds in the south with their monuments where he used to watch Tolan work and pretend he was giving speeches at grand state funerals. Tolan's orchards. One of the things he missed most living on a space station were the flowers and gardens he'd spent most of his life in. Importing the kind of flowers he liked to grow was difficult and expensive, and he found it too depressing to dedicate much thought to. Somewhere, here in Coranium, were the gardens he used to visit with Poundime. He turned yes, that way. If he walked that way, turned left, he'd be there. And what if she... Garrick. But his voice snapped him back. He was watching him again with those clear eyes. He knew a few things about exile and unpleasant homecomings. Garrick blinked and came back to himself. He scanned the quiet street. A pair of soldiers at the end had spotted them, beaming down and were coming closer. Cardassians. His people. He had to find the house. This one. There was an order guard outside of the Gmore residence, and Odo incapacitated him before he could raise the alarm. The door was locked, but the mechanism wasn't difficult for someone of his skills. There were flower pots outside, too, and the pollen drifted through the air to clog up his nose as he worked. It calmed him better than any attempt at meditation ever had. Go on, who is she? Jadzia asked after Julian had spent one minute and thirty-six seconds worrying. He glanced over from the console, not sure whether she was talking to him. Who's who? he asked after a beat of silence. Dax treated him to one of her knowing looks. Come on, Julian. You've been practically bouncing around the station for weeks. Who is she? Oh, no, he thought. I don't, uh, no, oh, no, I, I think you've made a mistake. I'm not seeing anyone. 
had he then noticeably bouncing around surely not he'd been happier probably but not noticeably there's no fooling me i've seen that look on you before oh shit he had been whistling this morning quick what would garrick do Disassemble, make him think he'd figured out something when he was completely on the wrong path. Tell a lie that was technically the truth. <sighs> All right, you've got me, he sighed. <sighs> I was looking forward to something a few weeks ago, and then it finally happened. Dax turned fully to look at him. Go on. I didn't want to say anything in case it didn't work out, but it did. He kept rambling on, and I'll admit I've been a bit more chipper than usual about it. Don't keep me in suspense. Come on, Julian. My paper on the first stages of the immunology project on Bajor was accepted for publication by Starfleet Medical, he enthusiastically said. Dax opened her mouth and closed it again and then settled for her usual knowing smile. Congratulations, Julian. But is that really what's got you so excited for weeks on end? A paper? Of course! I've been working on that paper for months. It's fascinating, you know. She looked on in mild disbelief. I'll tell you another time. I'd better get to the transporter room in case... Her expression became more solemn, and she nodded. Garrick had mentioned that she'd been surgically altered. None of them knew what state Kira would be in when they brought her back. It was only another minute before they got the message from Sisko. Five to beam up. For a moment, he was confused. Garrick, Sisko, and Odo were there, and so was a young Cardassian woman and an older Cardassian man. But... He knew those eyes, and he realized Garrick had not been exaggerating the seriousness of the kidnapping. He exchanged a quick nod with Garrick to make sure he was all right. He didn't look it, but he couldn't push it here. Let's get you to the infirmary, he said to Kira. The Cardassian man he had no idea who he was made to follow. It's all right, doctor, Kira quickly said with a look back at the man. He's... he's a friend. She wanted him there. To Kenny Gamore, his name was, the victim of some complicated plan to expose the dissident movement in Cardassia. While well, he scanned her and checked her genetic makeup on her request, 100% Bajoran. They agreed to wait until they got back to DS9 to correct the surgical procedures that had altered her appearance. You're welcome to stay here until we get back, of course. He knew if he was Kira, he wouldn't want many people to see him with a forcibly altered face. Certainly not the face of a people who had oppressed his own. Thanks. Kira nodded once, and then he left them to it. When he returned to the bridge, he was surprised to see Garrick back in his seat by the console, watching the view screen like a hawk. Cardassia vanished into the distance. Did everything go all right? 
he asked, trying to be casual enough to appear friendly, while also conveying that he was worried about him in a way that only he would understand. Perfectly. As you can see, we retrieved Major Kira without much of a problem, and it seems Leggett Kamor will also be returning with us. He won't be safe on Cardassia now that he's been exposed as a dissident. His voice was cold, unfeeling, his face almost as expressionless. That must be difficult for him, Julian said, perhaps unsubtly. Well, perhaps he should have thought about that before questioning Central Command. There is always a price to be paid for treason. Even if Central Command is wrong? Garrick chuckled, low and bitter. <laughs> Especially if they're wrong. Julian made sure no one was watching before touching Garrick's arm. Nothing too obvious or affectionate, just a pat on the bicep. Garrick didn't acknowledge it, but he didn't flinch away either. Julian sighed and turned to his console. It was a long way back to DS9. End of chapter one. Where flowers bloom. A Deep Space Nine fan fiction, written by Pyrrhic Victory, and read by God of Laundry Baskets. Chapter 2 Ah, Constable, is there something I can do for you? A new suit, perhaps? Odo harumphed and paced further into the shop. He'd been stopping in every day during his patrol of the promenade since his pass with the Obsidian Order had become obvious, like he expected to catch Garrick in the middle of some covert operation. Or, like with Quark, Odo just wanted to remind him that he was watching. I don't wear clothes, Garrick. I see. Your uniform is a part of your body, then. How fascinating. I have to say, if I could conjure any outfit I desired, I'd come up with something a little more exciting than that. I'm sure you would, Odo said. He liked Odo. Well, he enjoyed talking with him. The man was gruff and standoffish and delightfully sarcastic, and not afraid of cutting bureaucratic corners to get his job done. It was always a pleasure to make him roll his eyes. So, Constable, if I can't assist you in expanding your wardrobe, what can I do for you? You can assist me by staying out of trouble, Garrick. What trouble could I possibly get into here in my shop? He asked, but then leaned in conspiratorially. Although, now you come to mention it, there was an Andorian woman here a few days ago who was terribly rude to me about the alterations she requested for her ball gown. I confess, things may have gotten a little heated. Odo raised a brow. That Andorian woman was a Federation diplomat who hasn't been seen since yesterday afternoon. You wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you? 
I haven't the faintest clue. But you'd be surprised at the things people confess to their tailors that they'd never tell anyone else. I'll keep my ear to the dressing-room curtain, constable. There was his eye-roll. I'm sure you will. He smiled politely, and Odo laughed with his usual gruff displeasure. Odo was one of the few faces that had remained the same when the station had been handed from Cardassian to Bajoran control. He admired the shapeshifter's dogged dedication to his work, and he understood the plight of being the only one of his kind on the station. They maintained a level of friendly mistrust, which he quite enjoyed. He knew about every one of the devices Odo left in his shop to monitor him, and took pleasure in deactivating them when he needed a private conversation. It seemed that Odo hadn't noticed his relationship with Julian yet, which, if he believed in luck, he'd say was lucky. That, or he was biding his time. He wondered if Odo could get cold. He didn't mind tailoring. He was good at it. But the conversation came in fits and bursts, especially these days when the station was quiet, with people avoiding it for fear of a Dominion attack. Often there were days where, apart from Odo, he spoke to no one. Julian was busy for the next few days, and he was too wound up with useless anxiety to come up with an excuse to see him before their scheduled lunch. Instead, he got out the sketch he was working on of a jacket design he wanted to make for him. He'd been numbed by isolation in his old life, and exile had just cauterized the wound. But now it was starting to creep back in again. The pain of loneliness especially when he felt like this, strange and trapped, too big for the freezing space he was in, lost in memories of a home he didn't know if he'd ever be allowed to return to as a true citizen. Some of the other business owners on the promenade were polite enough, but most were either Bajoran, or friendly enough with Bajorans, not to want to be associated with him. He couldn't call any of them friends. The senior staff varied in politeness. Lieutenant Dax was by far the most pleasurable company out of the bunch, excepting his doctor, of course. She was easy to talk to and frequently commissioned interesting hollow-sweet costumes. He also spoke to Quark and Rom fairly often. They, like Odo, were familiar faces from before the occupation ended. Cork had some reliable contacts and information, but it was a bad sign if the man was too friendly with his bartender, and Rom was always unfailingly himself, which was refreshing, but didn't make for scintillating conversation. The rush of satisfaction he always got from getting involved with Cardassian politics had long since faded, giving way to a restless apathy. It faded faster and faster every time he was needed somewhere and then set aside again. There weren't any plants here. It was a stupid thing to miss. Out of all the things he couldn't have anymore, it wasn't even specific to Cardassia. Maybe he wouldn't be so pathologically miserable if he'd been exiled to somewhere with soil, knowing Tain. That was probably why he'd been given this imprisonment in the first place. A Starfleet ensign trudged in with a singed uniform, and he hid the sketch behind the counter. At last, 
something to do besides standing around and feeling sorry for himself. After a particularly punishing afternoon with Miles, who was missing his wife with a passion that translated into more games of racquetball than Julian knew how to schedule, he returned to his quarters to find Garrick reclining on the sofa, reading as though it was perfectly ordinary for him to be here. Do I want to know how you keep getting in here? Almost certainly, Garrick said, glancing up to give him a long, appreciative once over. Allow me to replicate some dinner for you. He set his pad down on the table. Julian noted that it was actually the data for one of his projects, and wondered both where he'd found it and why he was reading it given he almost certainly didn't understand it. I don't know. I'm knackered from that last game with Miles. I feel like going straight to bed. Garrick raised his brows and stood. A doctor ought to know that it isn't healthy to skip meals. You may well be blown away in a stiff breeze if you make a habit of it. So, dinner first, or shall I get quite disagreeable? Oh, no, Julian said flatly. Whatever shall I do, you being disagreeable, I'm not sure I can cope. Garrick came closer with a familiar look of amused desire. Not sure you could. He kissed him, but when Julian slid his hands around his waist, he stiffened. Hey, you're all twitchy. Garrick tilted his head, trying to look placid. He looked tired, more tired than his usual level of tired anyway. Julian had seen it several times in the week they'd gotten back from Cardassia, and it seemed it was only getting worse. Twitchy, doctor. Mm-hmm. What's up? Julian rubbed his back, and the tension in his muscles was palpable even through his coat before he forced himself to relax. Julian, he sighed and smiled tightly. I have merely had a trying day. Perhaps you could help me unwind, hmm? Julian raised a brow. After dinner, maybe. An excellent idea, though I suggest you change first. Garrick had very strong opinions about his racquetball outfit. Julian conceded to them tonight, and changed into his pajamas before returning to dinner. He settled into his chair in a casual sprawl and squinted at Garrick's bowl. Zabu stew again? Is there a problem, Julian? Uh, no. It's just... But I was sure you said the replicated version isn't very good, but you had it at lunch a few days ago. Is it improving? Hardly, but tastes change. I had no idea you were observing my eating habits so closely. Are you looking out for my health, doctor? Something like that, Julian said. He was aware that he could be a bit oblivious when it came to people. 
Agaric made it so necessary to be observant that he practically trained himself to look for patterns in his words and behavior. Having a perfect memory helped, of course. He knew for a fact that Garrick had complained four separate times in the past month alone about the quality of replicated Sabu stew on the station, and yet here he was, eating it twice in a week, the week after going back to Cardassia. I'm sorry. Garrick's face closed off. It's hardly your fault the replicators can't produce an acceptable Zabu. The tension in his voice was palpable beneath the veneer of sociability. Maybe you should talk to Chief O'Brien about it? Yes, I'm sure he'll be thrilled to help. Aware of the fragility of the mood, Julian rambled on about the last racquetball game he'd had with Miles, instead of trying to talk about Cardassia. He'd never admit to missing home as much as he did. Even on his worst days, he'd just smile blandly and say he was quite fine, thank you. Julian didn't know what he could do to help. He didn't know if there was anything at all that would help. There isn't a cure for homesickness. Julian? Garrick was watching him, having already put the plates back into the replicator. Uh, sorry, what did you say? I said you looked rather tired. You did say you wanted an early night. No, you were right about dinner. I feel a bit more energetic now. Oh? Garrick's head tilted, the corners of his mouth curled. Julian dropped onto the couch and sprawled out, smiling at him, beckoning. Garrick sat gracefully beside him with a frown. What's that look for? I'm grappling with a deeply troubling moral quandary, doctor. Perhaps you can help me. Go on. Julian said, knowing he absolutely wasn't. It's my responsibility as a lover to inform you of how attractive I find you, Garrick said. But it is my responsibility as a friend to keep your ego in check. Do you think it's possible to find a balance between these two duties? My ego's fine, thanks. Feel free to carry on. The kind of person who invites compliments is usually the kind who ought least to receive them, Garrick informed him, remaining still as Julian leaned forward to undo his jacket for him. I'm inviting your honest opinion. If that happens to be complimentary, so be it. Though, I suppose that your honest opinion is always a bit much to ask for even in these circumstances. What circumstances would those be? Garrick innocently asked, with Julian's hand halfway up his undershirt. Julian rolled his eyes and eased him out of his clothes, exposing his torso to the dim light. Hello, Julian smiled and slid down to begin his customary examination, stroking along each ridge and line of scales. Really? You must have memorized every scale on my body by now. He had. 
That didn't stop him from doing this at every opportunity. They're better in person, Julian firmly said. Garrick put on his usual expression of tolerant amusement, which Julian knew meant that he was secretly pleased. A light kiss, and Garrick slipped his hand under Julian's pajama shirt. His cool skin slid against Julian's ribs as he tugged him a little closer. The different textures of Garrick's body fascinated him. There were so many patterns and rows to keep his mind occupied with counting them, and since he shed his scales the way humans shed skin, the patterns changed subtly over time. And his face, the pale gray, the severe artistry of his ridges. Sometimes, when he was very still, Julian thought he looked like an ancient marble statue. You really are beautiful, Elam, Julian murmured. Garrick scoffed and looked away, shifting uncomfortably. I mean it! I could sit here all day just looking at you. He raised a brow. I'd rather you did a little more than just look. As you wish. He pressed their lips together, tasting coffee and a hint of spice from his meal feeling him sigh in lazy pleasure. He stroked down his chest and around the inverted teardrop shape, down his sides, across his stomach. The deep scars there drifted smoothly beneath his hands. He didn't focus on them, since Garrick always interpreted that as pity, but he didn't shy away from them either. They were as much a part of Garrick as his scales were, and he treated them as such. Garrick shifted up to pull Julian's pajama shirt off of him. He felt kisses along his shoulder. Then Garrick buried his face in his neck with a long, deep inhale. He suspected Cardassians had a much stronger sense of smell than humans, but Garrick, of course, would never confirm nor deny. It was at that moment he wished he'd taken some time to shower— instead of just changing from racquetball outfit to pajamas. Then again, Garrick didn't seem to be complaining. This seemed like a good time to remind him of something that might distract him. So, Julian leaned over him and braced his hands on his thighs. Touching him there always evoked a shiver. Did you have a chance to think about that hollow sweet program? Garrick blinked in surprise and affected a very heavy sigh. You never forget a thing, do you? He didn't. Nope. So, did you? Why exactly do you think this is a good idea? Because it'll be nice. That may be, but... Julian slid his hands further up his thighs and squeezed in a very particular way to cut him off. But nothing. You're being paranoid. No one's going to see us going into a hollow suite, hack the logs and work out that we're together from one program. No one that you know of. It's a tiny, tiny risk and it'll be worth it, I promise. 
Garrick looked dubious, though Julian thought he could sense a hint of weary acceptance drifting in as he leaned down to kiss him. You're very set on this. Yes, I am. Garrick hid his face in Julian's neck. He felt only the press of lips against his bare skin and the tingling scrape of teeth. Something he'd learned about Cardassians, or at least Garrick, was that they liked to bite. It had taken a while for it to become obvious, since Garrick had been so reticent early on. But the first time he'd really gone for it, he'd drawn blood. There was a lot of awkward apologizing, and Julian even more awkwardly reassuring him that it was okay. Really, he just needed to be more careful next time. Cardassians apparently have sharper teeth and thicker skin than humans. He stroked down the ridge that protected Garrick's right shoulder, light as a feather to make him shiver, then bit down as hard as he dare. Garrick stiffened and looked up at him with dark eyes. Dr. Bashir, you're a terribly cruel man. Come on, Elam. You want to do it, really. Your argument is... Uh, Julian sank in his teeth again, harder. It was very satisfying to be able to shut him up once in a while. My argument is perfect, and you know it. It's eloquently put. So? Sometimes trying to convince Garrick to do things was like pleading with a strict parent for something he wanted, and sometimes it was like being a strict parent trying to convince their child to do something that was good for them. He hoped it would be good for him anyway. A feather-light touch trailed absently down his spine, and eventually Garrick sighed. Fine, you have defeated me, but I concede only because I want you to stop talking. Julian grinned down at him. No, you don't. No, he kissed him lightly. No, I don't. He was very aware of the physical dimensions of the hollow sweet walls and ceiling, but the wide open sky, the warmth, the luscious plants that were carefully arranged yet artfully organic, was surprisingly distracting. He felt like he could breathe without the cold walls of the station threatening to crush him. For the first time since he left Cardassia over a week ago, claustrophobia receded. You like it? Julian actually looked nervous. Dressed in a very flattering shirt Garrick had made him, Julian stood, swaying beside him, brow furrowed, smiling nervously. And he could have made a sarcastic remark, or some half-hearted joke, but seeing Julian look like that made him want to be genuine. It was a worsening problem. It's wonderful. Where are we, my dear? A country called Sedan on Earth. There was something else. Julian rubbed the back of his neck and looked away. 
This is where my grandparents came from. Interesting. He'd never mentioned his family before. Shall we? Julian held out his hand, still uncertain, and Garrick took it. He'd explained the Cardassian significance of interlacing their fingers in public some other time. He was drawn immediately to the huge bed of red and orange flowers at the center of the carefully symmetrical gardens, walled in by a low line of polished stone. The flowers reminded him of reaching hands, sitting on the arms of green stems that curved gently over. It would be foolish of me to assume you know the names of any of these flora, I suppose, Garrick said. He crouched and cupped one of the tiny flowers between his fingers, feeling the satiny texture of the petals. Julian shrugged. I'm a doctor, not a botanist. A pity. Perhaps we ought to have invited Mrs. O'Brien, and the chief, of course. Right. You'd just love to go on a double date with Miles and Keiko, would you? Of course! Mrs. O'Brien is a charming woman, and the chief would no doubt try to keep his lesser opinions about me and my people to himself in front of his wife. We may even get along. You'd be surprised, Julian said. Garrick doubted it. Computer, identify these flowers. Flower, identified as Crocosmia, commonly known as copper tips. This variety is Montbrita, known as Lucifer or Falling Star, native to the continent of Africa on Earth. It is reminiscent of a Cardassian flower common to the capital. Dashara, it's called. Every window box in the tour sector had a smattering of Dashara. He had the odd impulse to sink his hand into the rich soil, a need to ground himself after years of barely interrupted time on a space station, but he thought better of it and stood. There were other people perusing the flowers and taking pictures. He examined their clothes as they passed. The women were almost priest-like in their veils and shawls, unlike anything he'd seen the other humans wearing. Come on. Julian took his hand again and tugged him along with his best, most charming smile. Well, he no doubt thought it was charming and Garrick wasn't going to tell him otherwise. He was led down, wide paths of gravel, flanked on either side by short hedges that separated the path from the precisely cut, vibrantly green lawns. "'Have you seen this place before? You said this was your grandparents' land.' Oh, we came a few times when we lived on Earth. We? As in you and your parents? He was curious about the Bashirs. Julian said next to nothing about his parents, and his personnel file only included their names. Yes. He closed off at that, eyes wandering over the lawns and hedges and flower beds. You aren't close with them. No, not really. The fact that Julian wasn't rambling about them said volumes about the nature of their relationship. He wondered what they'd think of their son, the very model of Starfleet stereotypes, courting a Cardassian exile 
What about you? Julian deflected, obviously. I can't say I'm particularly close with your parents either, Garrick deflected, more obviously. Julian shoved his shoulder against Garrick's. Don't be an arse. I'm not even allowed to ask, am I? You're welcome to ask anything you like. It's you who always seem unsatisfied by my answers. Go on then, Garrick. Tell me about your family. The gardens reminded him of Talon. You assume I even have family? I assume you weren't grown in a lab. But you always complain that you know so little about Cardassian biology, Doctor. How could you know for sure? They reached a row of trees that had been cut back so vigorously that they were nothing but trunks with thick, flat-topped branches sticking out of the top like stiff fingers. You see how they've amputated the limbs, Garrick pointed out. Gardening is quite a lot like medicine, I've always thought. Perhaps there was a fungus or an infestation. Perhaps the top branches were removed to stop the trees growing too heavy and collapsing. He hadn't seen so much plant life in a long time. It felt comforting and familiar, even if the plants themselves weren't. He'd spent a large portion of his childhood following Talon around the Tarlock grounds, watching him tend to his orchids, and passed a lot of his free time when he worked for the Order, either in public gardens or planting orchids in the gardens of his various landlords. I'm having a hard time imagining you actually gardening, Julian said. Why? Garrick asked, genuinely curious. It's not so different from tailoring. There's a certain artistic vision required, of course, but also a large amount of cutting and shaping. For every flower planted, one must rip out a dozen of weeds. Every garden is a delicate ecosystem which must be cultivated by a merciless, expert hand. Are we still talking about gardening? I can't imagine what else we might be talking about. Julian narrowed his eyes. He wasn't completely oblivious when he made an effort not to be, especially not to metaphors for political intrigue. You're very fussy about dirt, is what I meant. I object to yamak sauce smeared across my living space, yes. I have a collection of fabrics that stain very easily and are very difficult to clean and very expensive to replace but I don't object to getting my hands dirty in the appropriate environment. There is a therapeutic quality to it, in fact. I'm sure you could get some indoor plants, Julian suggested. Perhaps if you talked to Keiko when she gets back from Bajor, she could tell you about growing things in the environment on the station. Perhaps I could, Garrick said unsure. What he didn't say was that in the beginning of his exile, he'd never felt like this life was permanent enough to justify growing flowers here. And after the Cardassians abandoned him alone, here, after he'd finally given up on the belief that he'd be taken home, it would have been too depressing to admit 
that it was very permanent indeed. He returned to surveying the people around him. There was a group of children in the distance, jumping and running circles around their parents, shrieking in an alien language. Some things are universal. Other people moved in the corner of his eye, and he watched them. He couldn't help himself watching, whether the people around him were real or not. It was an old instinct, drained into him so fiercely he couldn't shake it off if he wanted to. He was so wrapped up in the holograms, forgetting for a time that they weren't real, that the hand on his cheek came as a surprise. Getting sloppy, Elam, came a familiar voice as Julian kissed him. It's nice to be able to do that outside our quarters, Julian said. Variety is the spice of life, Garrick absently said. Loath am I to admit it, you were right. This is nice. He turned and caught the heavy scent of pollen on the changing artificial wind. All of a sudden he wasn't standing in the hollow suite, but in the gardens in the Coram sector with Palandine beside him. He hadn't realized how heavily the anxiety of the past week had been weighing on him, until he suddenly forgot how one was supposed to breathe. Julian was very close. I know it's mortifying for you to admit that I was right about something, but are you okay? You're doing the face. There was a face? He made an effort to shift his expression into one of deliberate innocence. What face would that be, doctor? The worrying face, Julian chided. I told you, it'll be fine. Cork doesn't have cameras in here. He had better not, Garrick remarked, glancing around out of instinct. Warm hands on his jaw, more gentle than he could bear, tilted his head back to meet Julian's soft gaze. His eyes were a warm green when they caught the light here a way they never quite shone in the bland light of the station. His chest ached looking at him. He's so beautiful. That's better, Julian said. Garrick didn't even know what his face was doing now. Something hideously blatant, no doubt, the kind of face one makes before kissing a beautiful man. He could taste Julian's favorite oversweetened tea. He could breathe in the smell of him on the wind, drowning out the thick pollen in his nose. The shirt Garrick made him had a silky feeling, made of fabric more expensive than he'd admit to Julian, and it was supple under his hands, like cool water. What was that for? Julian's lips were red and a little swollen, bitten in places, his face flushed, hair messy where Garrick had held him still. You looked like you needed it. Loathe am I to admit it, but you were right, Julian quoted, smiling. He could never get used to the way Julian touched him. There was so much care in how those elegant fingers tenderly explored his ridges 
Julian must have noticed that he'd been unwell lately, and he'd insisted on bringing him here, despite the danger, because he wanted to help. You don't deserve him. You're doing the face again. Don't you ever relax? Julian frowned at him. My dear doctor, have you considered the possibility that it's just you who has this effect on me? Your sartorial choices are a constant source of anxiety, though I must say that you've made excellent progress tonight. He smoothed down a wrinkle on Julian's shirt. I'm afraid past experience has traumatized me too greatly, and thus I worry for you and your wardrobe perpetually. Are we still talking about my wardrobe? Julian asked. His expression had softened. I can't imagine what else we'd be talking about, Garrick said, putting on a smile. Julian gave him a fond look, sympathetic to whatever painful mystery Garrick was hiding from him, but knowing he'd never get anywhere if he asked. There was something inexplicable about him. Garrick had never met anyone whose demeanor encouraged such a feeling of safety. He never raised his voice, he never panicked, and he was so caring and so raw to others' pain that injustice made him furious at times, especially towards those he considered to be under his care, but he still remained calm and non-aggressive. Garrick didn't understand how someone could be so empathetic to the suffering of the universe without being jaded. The flowers around them twitched in the gentle warm breeze. People picked back and forth across flower beds and bushes, and he turned to watch them. I know about Cardassians and hands, by the way. Garrick glanced at him, pleasantly surprised. This... Julian slotted their fingers together and squeezed. Garrick breathed in sharply. Is quite intimate, isn't it? How did you discover this, might I ask? You think I wouldn't notice that whole chapter of By the Graying Dust that was just Carr and Martilla holding hands in different positions, or in how the never-ending sacrifice all the couples do is hold hands, and in meditations on the crimson shadow, too. Very observant, doctor. Julian's thumb traced down Garrick's index finger, trailing electricity behind it. All awareness of his body bled into his hand, to Julian's hand, to the warm presence beside him. I think you wanted me to notice. An interesting hypothesis. Why wouldn't I simply tell you? Because you never tell me anything. Not directly. It's all lies or literature with you. Julian's voice was exasperated but fond. You make me sound like a very difficult man. Julian lifted Garrick's hand to his lips with a smile. It was ridiculously endearing. You are. Almost impossible, in fact. 
a less confident man might wonder why a Starfleet doctor, with a great many demands on his time, would choose to spend so much of it with someone so difficult, Garrick said. Because, Julian languidly said, caressing the back of his hand, I love a challenge. You are aware that we must part ways after this, Garrick cautiously said, as a tingling warmth spread up his hand from every place Julian touched him. I know, but we've still got an hour left here. Aren't you interested in teaching me all the things I've got wrong about Cardassian kissing? Garrick rolled his eyes. For a start, it isn't kissing at all. You know this habit you humans have of drawing inaccurate equivalences between foreign social norms and your own is truly a detriment to your understanding of other cultures. Julian's eyes sparkled with the promise of an argument. Perhaps he'd picked up on that in his literature, too. Really? I think finding common ground is the first step in building a foundation of understanding between different cultures. Finding a common ground is just another Federation ploy designed to erase the individuality of every new world you come across in order to force it neatly into your insipid conception of the universe. Mm, and Cardassians have a lot of respect for individuality, do they? Ah, and there is your condescending Federation nobility being applied to a society that doesn't suit it. We don't let our individual desires come before our duty, but that doesn't mean we have no desires at all. Theoretically, he thought. Is that so? Julian said. What is your desire, then? He squeezed Garrick's hand again. If you can't figure that out, then I've clearly underestimated your intelligence. He turned their hands so he could feel Julian's pulse beneath his fingers. It was a very sentimental gesture for a Cardassian, but he doubted that even the scandalous chapter-long exploration of hand positions in By the Graying Dust had given Julian enough context to interpret it correctly. Either way... It was... nice. He was so unused to things just being... nice, that he didn't know how to feel about it. Shall we carry on? He said, gesturing down an avenue of vibrant green trees. By all means. Lead the way, my dear doctor. End of chapter two. Where Flowers Bloom A Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan fiction Written by Pyrrhic Victory And read by God of Laundry Baskets Chapter 3 Like this? He pressed his palm against Garrick's as instructed. Precisely. And this is considered romantic. Well, there are some people who think it an appropriate greeting between close friends. Julian could feel the derision in Garrick's voice. 
Let me guess. You're not one of them. You compared it to a kiss. Do you typically kiss your friends in greeting? Chief O'Brien, for example. You said it wasn't equivalent. No, though it could be adjacent. You see, for a Cardassian, this kind of greeting leaves the mouth free for polite conversation. However, since humans seem incapable of polite conversation... He trailed off and tilted his head expectantly. Julian took the hint and kissed him. And you wonder where Cardassians get a reputation for being xenophobic. Computer and program. Just for a while, he'd been able to pretend that he was a normal person with a normal boyfriend and they could be together in public without disastrous consequences. But the wind had to stop. The ambient buzz of insects died away. The sky disappeared, and the trees froze and faded with a sigh, and they were surrounded by the smooth black-and-white grid of an empty hollow suite. The real world filtered back into his senses as silence fell. He could hear the rabble in quarks outside the doors, the constant whir of the station turning around them. Well, doctor, that was quite lovely. It was odd to watch him slide back to an acceptably platonic distance, smooth back his hair, and put on the amicable mask again. He wondered if he'd helped Garrick at all. He had become less tense the longer they spent in the program, but now his spine straightened again, and the smile felt a bit more forced. Maybe one day, things wouldn't have to be like this. Going back to the gardens in Sudan made him realize he was starting to think of Deep Space Nine as more of a home than Earth. He had friends here. He had someone who loved him, as repressed as he was about expressing it. And he was in a position where he could study fascinating things and practice conventional medicine at the same time was everything he'd wanted when he chose this post in the first place. It was also vastly stranger than he'd been expecting. Everything was harder and more complicated than he thought it would be, including the people. Especially the people. When he was a child, Julian was terrified of doctors. To him, they were people who squinted at him as though he was no more than the affliction he'd come in with, who made him feel as though his body was no more his own than his father's vintage car. Something to be looked at, talked about, fixed, and sent out again. They knew things about him that he didn't know about himself. He didn't like it. He didn't remember what had been done to him. He had no memory of ever going to Aegean Prime at all. But some young part of his mind held on to that fear. He remembered that fear when he looked at the Jem'Hadar boy that had been found in stasis on a wrecked ship, the boy who flung himself away from the medical instruments and tests. It was a tiny moment, imperceptible to anyone else, but set Julian off-kilter for the whole time the boy was there. Odo was the only one who could control the boy. They'd built that subservience into his DNA— reached straight into the essence of him and ripped out his free will, 
leaving behind only obedience and violence. Genetic engineering. He had to keep saying it over and over until it hurt to look at Sisko or Dax or Odo and say it without scowling. And while Odo believed the Jem'Hadar boy could become more than his programming, Julian wasn't so sure. He wanted it to be true. He wished that something as easily rearranged as a set of genes weren't responsible for the makeup of a being, of himself. But that was the truth. He was fundamentally different from whoever he might have become had this not been done to him. And that boy, he never had a chance. It was all so infuriatingly complicated. He got like this sometimes. He'd find he was comfortable in his life just in time to receive a jolt that reminded him of what had been done to him, and he couldn't shake it off again. Sometimes he felt more like a computer that had been given an upgrade than a person who had undergone a violating medical procedure. When he got like this, he found that the only thing that helped was sprinting hard in the opposite direction, throwing numbers out of the window and doing something that hadn't been engineered into him. Doctor? Garrick squinted at him when the doors slid open. Sorry, I know I'm early, but I've got a surprise for you. He held up the small, innocuous supply medical crate he'd brought from his quarters. Garrick raised his brows and eyed it dubiously, but let him in to his dimly lit quarters. There was a beautifully made black and blue jacket draped over the edge of the sofa and some sewing tools on the table. Garrick swept the jacket and tools aside and indicated for Julian to place the box on the table. You are aware that I loathe unexpected surprises. Ah, as opposed to expected surprises, you mean? Well, precisely. Knowing you're about to be surprised makes the experience far more enjoyable, wouldn't you say? He had actually taken Garrick's professed dislike of surprises into account. All week he'd been smiling, knowingly, to let him know that there was something going on, and that it was harmless, without having to give away quite what. It had improved his own mood, too. Aren't you going to open it? Garrick raised his brow ridges and sat primly on the edge of his seat to examine the top of the medical supply box. If this is booby-trapped, doctor, I will be most irritated. Impressed, but irritated. I promise, it isn't that kind of surprise. Julian watched him for every tiny movement, trembling slightly as Garrick worked out the seal on the small crate and flipped open the lid. He froze, eyes wide. Gray hands flinched back from the box as if stung. Mouth opened slightly, he glanced at Julian with nothing less than complete shock in his eyes. Where did you get this? That's classified information, Julian teased to cover his anxiety. Had he done this right? 
But it's a dashra, isn't it? That Cardassian flower. It had better be, otherwise I'm going to throttle that traitor I was negotiating with. Garrick looked back at the crate. It was a sapling, with only a single red flower on its stem. I just thought it would be nice, since you were talking about being a gardener, and I know it's not the same on a space station, but I was talking with Keiko, and it's not as hard as you think to grow things here, and— Oh! Julian gently reached past the plant in the box to pick out a pad. She sent over some advice and replicator patterns for devices that might help regulate the environment for this type of flower, since it is a bit cold here. And the fellow I got it from had some ideas as well, so I wrote those down too. Of course, I expect you already know exactly what to do with it, but just in case. This was almost certainly the longest Garrick had ever gone without speaking while lucid. Julian held out the pad, trailing off. Perhaps he'd horribly misjudged this. Garrick took the pad numbly. This is the meaning of those secretive looks you were giving me over lunch? His voice sounded strange, somewhat shaky. Well, yes. Um, is it all right? Is it all right? Garrick repeated blank. He reached into the crate and gently, delicately, like handling something made of glass, or perhaps a bomb, he lifted out the small silver pot holding the Dashara sapling. The expression on his face as he cradled the pot wasn't quite like any Julian had seen on him before. The closest comparison was the look he'd had when Julian told him he loved him, but it was more tender than that. Suddenly he could see Garrick kneeling in a garden, planting the sapling in soft soil with a deadly sharp trowel that flashed in the sun. It is a dashara, isn't it? Garrick glanced at him again, surprised, like he'd forgotten what was happening, and seemed to come back to life after the long moment of frozen shock. Yes, yes, it's very healthy, too, he enthusiastically said. You can tell from these vein-like patterns on the petals, you see. The clearer they are, the better. It looks as though it was transplanted recently, but the soil is just right. In the correct conditions, it ought to grow wonderfully. Information spilled out of Garrick, the same way interesting scientific phenomenon spilled out of Julian. He'd never seen him quite like this before, genuinely excited about something without making an argument out of it. His jaded cynicism had faded to the background. Garrick carefully turned the pot in his hands, examining each petal closely. I'm glad you like it. Like it? Julian! For all his eloquent speeches about everything else in the universe, Garrick could barely get two words out about his emotions at the best of times, where Julian blundered through and rambled for minutes on end without really getting anywhere. 
Eric let slip a cryptic hint once every six weeks, if that. Neither of them ever seemed to get to the bottom of things very often. You are by far the kindest person I have ever known, he eventually said. The words sent an odd shiver through his chest, and he got the urge to protest. Don't be silly, Carrick. No, please. Garrick gently put the pot on the table and took Julian's hand. His fingers were cool as usual, and left a light tingling in their wake when they drifted down his wrist, his open palm, and his fingertips. Page 217 of By the Graying Dust, Julian remembered, the beginning of the hand-holding chapter. I mentioned this flower once, a flower you certainly hadn't heard of before, and I know how frustrating it can be to acquire even the most common items from Cardassia these days. This must have been very difficult to find. The movements of Garrick's hands were careful and elegant, gliding across his skin. Well, it was a bit of a challenge. But that made it fun, actually. You know me. I get fixated on something, and I can't stop thinking about it until I've figured it out. Still, a replicated version would have served just as well, would it not? No, it wouldn't have, Julian said, thinking of the Zabu stew. I might not be able to tell the difference, but you would have. Eric looked up at him and gently adjusted their positions so Julian's fingers were curled into a loose fist and placed his own hand over them. There it is again, he lamented. Your insufferable human niceness. If you keep on like this, I might be forced to like you, and then where would we be? Julian felt odd about Garrick thinking so highly of him, even when he was framing it sarcastically. That had been what he wanted, wasn't it? Someone to remind him that he was a person. How terrible that would be for you, he managed to say. Garrick dipped his head and smiled. Quite. And he moved again so he was holding Julian's hand upside down, with two fingers pressed against the underside of his wrist. After a brief second, Julian copied him and earned a warm smile. He could feel Garrick's steady pulse beneath the skin, slow and regular. He calculated 57 beats per minute. Do the different hand positions have different meanings? Very good, doctor. It was that amused, smug look that he was so used to seeing over the lunch table. And you're going to make me work them out for myself. Given the generosity of your gift, I shall spare you the grief of interrogating me. That first position... Garrick reached out to recreate it, tucking Julian's fingers into a fist and covering it with his own. Indicates gratitude. 
It's not to be used in public, I hasten to add. Why not? Because these gestures are used solely between those who are intimate. It would give us away quite blatantly. He found it fascinating that a species so engaged with conversation and rhetoric had developed an entirely silent method of communication between lovers. Understood. What does the second one mean? He tried to recreate the second position, palm to palm in opposite directions, two fingers against his wrist. The smug expression returned. Perhaps another time. What happened to sparing me grief? Oh, you do so love a challenge. He slipped his hand out of Julian's and caressed his eyebrow and cheekbone with his thumb. Garrick wouldn't tell him what that one meant either, but he could guess. Garrick looked back at the flower, deep in thought again. I'm afraid I haven't anything to give you in return just yet. You don't have to. That's not the point, Julian quickly said. I already planned to, my dear. It isn't finished yet, but perhaps you can humor me for a moment. Garrick stood and returned to the sofa with the jacket he'd removed earlier, and Julian realized that it was meant for him. There were black and blue panels, the same color as his uniform, with shining lavender and gold embroidery on the sleeves in complex geometric patterns. Julian quickly unzipped and stripped off his uniform jacket and took Garrick's very carefully. When he slipped it on, it felt as though it had been made for his body. The soldiers, which he often found too wide in jackets made for men of his height, were perfectly aligned to his own, and the lining was made of something smooth and silky that felt wonderful against his skin. "'How does it feel?' Garrick said. "'It's perfect.' Garrick circled around him, tugging at parts of the jacket, testing the fit. It does seem to be satisfactory. There are always adjustments to be made, of course, but I do have a very detailed record of your measurements. Can I see how it looks? Of course not! It isn't finished yet! Julian started to protest, but he knew he wouldn't get anywhere. Do you treat all your customers like this? He asked, as the jacket was gently removed from his shoulders. You aren't a customer, Garrick reminded him, placing it carefully over the back of one of his chairs. If you were, I'd remind you that my opening hours aren't usually so late, but then I would have to forgive you just this once since you brought me such an enjoyable surprise. Have I changed your mind about surprises, then? He found his hand folded into a fist, and Garrick covered it with his own. Gratitude. Then a kiss, smiling, and the feeling that he'd actually got something right. He tried to break through the impenetrable wall, and it had worked. Only surprises involving you, my dear. And Julian was busy in the shower that night, 
Garrick sat on the couch for a very long time, staring at the Dashara. It never quite understood the impulse to cry when experiencing strong emotions besides grief and pain. He found it histrionic, but when Julian presented him with that flower, there had been an odd burning in the back of his throat that he couldn't explain away. It wasn't an Edogian orchid, nor was this a garden. This was something different, something with a part of Julian inextricably bound up in it. He thought having plants here would merely make his quarters more miserable by reminding him of everything he couldn't have, but it wasn't quite like that. It was bittersweet. Maybe it was because he hadn't sought out the little scrap of home for himself. Julian had given it to him, for no reason other than to cheer him up. He wasn't sure whether he had accomplished that exactly, but he had certainly done something. It had been a very, very long time since anyone had done anything for him simply because they wanted to. Julian was quite simply unlike anyone Garrick had been close to before, diligent enough to latch on to a single mention of a flower and caring enough to track it down, but not observant enough to notice that jacket Garrick carelessly left on the sofa was intended for him. He got up and looked out of the viewport. Because it was comparatively close to Bajor, Cardassia Prime shone bright among the familiar pattern of dim stars. There would be a day, he didn't know when, perhaps weeks from now, perhaps years, when he would go home again. There was an answer, and he would find it. Until then, all he could do was help Cardassia from the shadows, and find quiet ways to make his exile bearable. He heard footsteps leave the bathroom. Julian stood beside Garrick with a towel around his waist, arm brushing lightly against his. His skin was damp and hot, and his hair dripped water. Are you brooding? It was a casual phrase, but he said it softly. The starlight caught the edges of his face when Garrick glanced at him. Of course not, doctor. I don't brood, I contemplate. What are you contemplating, then? Who says I was contemplating anything? Julian exhaled and bumped his shoulder. He often poked or tapped or bumped into Garrick when he was being deliberately frustrating. Small bruises were starting to form along his neck and shoulders. The silence didn't last long. I didn't really have a home growing up. My parents moved too often for me to think of anywhere we went as really mine. It's funny, but this station is the first time I've felt at home somewhere. Do you know how I can tell? Garrick tilted his head, curious. When I went to that conference on Calstron 4, it felt like the shuttle was taking me away from here, as much as it was taking me towards somewhere else. Does that make sense? For once, I understand you completely. Julian sighed, 
taking on a sheepish look. There's a warm hand on his back. I'm sorry. I don't mean to pour salt in the wound. <laughs> what an odd saying. You, of all people, ought to be careful of what you pour in people's wounds. He was joking, mostly, and smiled crookedly to let Julian see it. He was only as hurt by seeing the Dashara as he was by rereading the never-ending sacrifice. It was the shock of it that had thrown him more than anything. He touched Julian's shoulder, following along the bruises, feeling the slight indentations of bite marks in the skin. As I recall, you told me that humans once used salt as an antiseptic. Perhaps the intended meaning is that a certain amount of pain is necessary. Maybe so, but these days we have dermal regenerators for that. Ah, but they make for a less poetic idiom. Cardassia shone in the distance. Its people carried on as they always had, the vast majority of them completely ignorant of Garrick and his exile, as they should be. The cold of the station had started to settle in again. All it took was a little tug on the elbow, and his arms were full of warm, bony human. He had become used to hugging now, hugging Julian, at least, and it was comfortable. He breathed in the scent of flower petals and soil and damp hair. It was difficult to feel at home in a prison, but somehow this place, when he was with Julian, had become the closest thing to home he'd had since he was a child, perhaps the closest he was ever going to get in exile. You'll have to go soon, he murmured. Julian sighed and stood up straight again, obscuring his view of the stars for a moment. It irritated him when Garrick pointed that out, but he couldn't help it. He had to remind him. He had to remind himself that this could never be a permanent attachment. Yes, I know, but not just yet. No, not yet. End of Where the Flowers Bloom Thank you for listening. A Stargate SG-9 SG-9 Stargate! That would explain the star SG-9. That would be a fun crossover, right, guys? 